A little boy one day asked the big question. Mom, where did I come from? And where did you come from? And so the mother told him a fanciful story about a stork and how the stork brought her first and later on the stork brought him. Well, not satisfied with that answer, he asked his grandma the same question. And his grandma, a little different twist, but basically told the same story of a stork. A few days later, the little boy was with his friend, and he was really sad looking. His friend said, what's wrong with you? He said, I just found out we're all related to birds. <laughs> you know, it is said that in America and in the world, there are 380,000 babies born every single day on this planet. Over 10,000 are born in this country every day. And we know that babies are special. We know that each of us are unique. Fingerprints prove that. But we know that from our hearts. And we come into this world with no papers, no money, no name, no clothes. We can't even talk. We can't even take care of ourselves. But what a difference life is once a baby comes into the world. And of all the babies that are born every single day on this planet, there's one birth a long time ago that's very important. This is a season where a lot of people want to talk about the birth of Jesus. And in just a few moments, we're going to open our Bibles and read the Bible story of this in Luke chapter 2. So I encourage you to get your Bibles and be working over to Luke chapter 2. But we really welcome everyone this morning. Glad to have our guests with us. And in many ways, you might say, well, this just seems like a normal Sunday here. And it is, and it's not. Because every Sunday is special. Every Sunday is unique. And what we find in our Bibles are the early, early Christians remembering not a baby born in the manger, but they remember a death upon the cross. And that's what we have just done as we've taken the Lord's Supper. That event changed the world. But for serious Bible students, this time of year often brings conflicts in our minds from what the Bible says and what everyone else believes happens. We see the idea in manger scenes all around. We get this idea that Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus are in a stable or a barn. Animals are there. The, the shepherds are there. The three kings are there. And this is just a common, common idea. There are songs and plays and movies about these things. And so what we want to begin with this morning is just kind of look at some of these traditions. And then we're going to read the story in Luke 2. And I want to share with you just four simple lessons what the birth of Jesus ought to mean for us. It is important. It is in our Bible. And we need to be able to talk about it no matter what the calendar says. Let's begin with just some basic traditions. The, the story to, that is commonly told is that Mary, riding a donkey with Joseph, came into Bethlehem on December 25th. She was about to burst with a baby. So she goes to the inn, and the innkeeper says, there's no room here. So they go to a nearby barn or a stable, and there she gives birth to Jesus. And before much longer, the shepherds see the angels in the sky and a star, and they go to that same place. And then about the same time, these three kings riding camels also go to the same place. And we get this image of Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the three kings, and all the animals. And it's just a glorious, glorious story. 
And that's how most of us grew up hearing those things. There's a lot of things about that. But when we open our Bibles, we notice some details are just not there. For instance, the Bible never says that Mary actually rode a donkey. She might have rode a donkey. Maybe she was in the cart. I don't know. Maybe she was on a horse. The Bible simply tells us that on the way that Joseph was to register there in a place where his family was from, Bethlehem, because of the house of because of his house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged with him, and she was with child. How they got there, we don't really know. Nor are we told that Jesus was born that very night. For instance, in Luke chapter 2, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Kind of sounds like that they were there just a little bit, not just that night. And the innkeeper. Interesting. The Bible never talks about an innkeeper. The Bible has no conversation with the innkeeper. That's, again, a big part of the story and the traditions we have, but that's just simply not in the Bible. Jesus was born in a stable. That's a common idea. And again, what we find here in Luke chapter 2, and verse 7, we're going to read this again in just a moment. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And let's talk about this word, the end. We think about Holiday Inn Express. That's what comes to our mind, a hotel. And it's so crowded, there was a no vacancy sign just flashing. And what are we going to do here? I'm about to have a baby and there's no room. This word in Greek, kataluma, is kind of interesting. It means a guest room, a chamber, a lodging place, or an inn. And in Mark 14, as Jesus uses the same word, he says, and whenever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Not actually the idea of a barn or a stable, is it? Most likely, since Joseph was from that area, he probably stayed with some family members. Young's literal translation, and Young is probably the most, most literal translation on the market. He says this in Luke 2, verse 7, And she brought forth her son, the firstborn, and wrapped him up and laid him down in a manger because there was not for them a place in the guest chamber. You've got company in your house or staying in your guest room. Mary shows up. She needs to have a baby born, and there's not room in the guest room. She went somewhere else. And then the idea of three kings Riding camels, come to see the newborn Jesus in the manger. We even have a song, We Three Kings. Well, let's see what the Bible says. In the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Magi simply means wise men. They were like astrologers. Pharaoh had Magi when he had some of his visions to try to tell him what it was. In the book of Daniel, there were wise men that Nebuchadnezzar had to try to tell them what he had seen. What's interesting is they're not called kings. And what's interesting is we don't know how many. Now, they bring three gifts, but it could have been two guys bringing three gifts, or it could have been five guys bringing three gifts. We don't know. We don't know their names. We don't know their races. Again, the, the legend has all of those things. And what's really interesting, when you get just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 2, after coming to the house, Jesus is now about a month old. And they come to the house, and they saw the child and Mary with his mother. Just a little bit different idea than what we've always heard. 
And then the most important one, Jesus was born on December 25th. Tomorrow is Jesus' birthday. You'll even see some people saying those very things. Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't tell us. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Well, what is that day? No, we're not told what that day is. Interestingly, Caesar calls a census. He wants to know how many people there are, especially among the Jewish people. And what he wants you to do is go to the place, travel to the place where your family is from. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. We also know that the shepherds were in the field. Now in December in Bethlehem area, it's not a good time for sheep to be in the field because there's not a lot of grass for them to eat. And you wouldn't call a census when it's hard to travel. Now you and I today would just hop on an airplane, we'd get in our car and we'd go. But back then you had to walk or ride a donkey, and if it's rainy and snowy and icy as it is there, it would kind of defeat that, wouldn't it? Now, here's something interesting, too, I want you to think about. We're just a few days away from a new year. Our new years start with January. That's the first month of our calendar. In the Jewish calendar, the first month is called Nisan, or you might say Nissan, like your car, Okay. And that is the first of the beginning of the Jewish calendar. So they don't begin with a January. They begin mid-March is when their calendar begins of the year. We know eight weeks later, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, is in the temple. Now, he was of a certain division of courses. There were so many priests, they put them in courses. And each course served one week. So if you begin in mid-March and you count down eight weeks to when he would have served, that puts us in May. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke, after he served, he went home and his wife conceived, John the Baptist. Six months later, Elizabeth, his wife, comes to Mary and they talk about the coming of Jesus. Which shows us that John the Baptist was born most likely in February and Jesus, most likely, in August. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It's also interesting that August would be the best month to travel if you're going to do a census. August makes sense if you're shepherds out in the field. Now, you might say, well, great, Roger. You just destroyed everything I knew about Christmas. <laughs> you just triced it, okay? I'm going to go home, and my mind is warped now, okay? What we're trying to show in this stuff is there's a lot of things we hear. And there's a lot of things that are tied to the Bible that we just think that's just the way it is. Everybody knows Jesus was born on December 25th. Everybody knows that. Well, if that's so true, why doesn't the Bible say that? And everybody knows the three kings showed up in the manger with Mary and everyone else. Well, why doesn't the Bible say that? And in this place, we're real interested in being accurate with what God says. We're real interested in doing what the Bible says in all things. And so if you've got your Bible, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to just read with you this story. The birth of Jesus. We're going to start in verse 3 and read down to about verse 30 or so. Luke chapter 2, begin verse 4 rather. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, and there was no room for them in the inn. Let's just stop there for a minute. I didn't mention this word. The word manger really means a feeding trough. Now, you might say, well, that means a barn. No. We travel by cars. Most of us have a garage. Back then, they traveled by animals. So most homes would have a feeding trough outside a house where you could put food for the animal. Verse 8. It says, now in the same region, there were some shepherds staying in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, verse 10, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring for you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Well then, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered about the things which were told by the shepherds. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. And we'll stop with that for now. Now I want to share with you four simple things about the birth of Jesus all to mean to us. Number one, we see the, humi the humility of his birth. Now think about this for a minute. We're talking about the God of heaven coming to earth. We've seen in history when a king or a queen has a child and, and, and a royal birth is taking place. And we see all the pageantry of that. Jesus was not born in the finest hospitals money could buy. He wasn't surrounded by the best doctors that could be supplied. He was born in humble place. He was born to a poor woman, unwed and away from home and placed in the feeding, feeding trough. If you got your Bible still in Luke chapter 2, jump down with me, and let's begin reading now in verse 21. Luke 2, verse 21, and, and this will bring something to you. It says, When eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law, every firstborn male that opens up the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's how we know he was poor. The law says you are to provide a lamb. But if you can't afford a lamb, you can do a bird. You can do two pigeons or you can do a turtle dove. What do they offer? Not a lamb, but turtle doves. Why do they offer turtle doves? Because they're poor. The God of heaven came down to a poor family. Humility. And that's the way God wants us to see it. The very first people to see after he's born 
were these shepherds in the field, most likely strangers. And again, not surrounded by kings, not surrounded by queens, not surrounded by royalty, but just common everyday people like you and I as we consider those things. And so when we think about this, we get this idea of how humble Jesus was. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, But we do see him who is made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And within the same chapter, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Humility followed Jesus all his life. He wasn't just born humble and then became arrogant. He always was humble. In Matthew chapter 8, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In Matthew chapter 20, just as the Son of Man came to be, not to be served, but to serve. He was a servant. You never read in your Bible Jesus walking into a village and saying, wow, you wouldn't believe what I did back there. I did something that was just amazing. Uh, off the charts. You don't read that. You don't read Jesus being the victim. Saying, I can't believe I got to go to the cross for you. You guys are just a bunch of dummies who never get it together. And I got to go to the cross for you. I have to do this. For you. you do not read that in your Bible. What you read is about his love and his humility. Here again, the book of Matthew. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And what we find throughout the scriptures is all kinds of people coming to Jesus. People with problems, people who had made mistakes, people who had broken lives, and no one felt embarrassed about coming to Jesus. I can't come to him because of who he is. You don't see that. We should also remember at the birth of Jesus the hatred surrounding this birth. The devil knew that he was coming. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, the Bible says in a passage that kind of refers to the devil and Jesus, it says, And his tail, talking about the devil, swept away a third of the stars of heaven, and he threw them into the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that, he might, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to heaven, and to, up to God, and to his throne. The hatred. That continued on when we read about Herod, jealous Herod, when the Magi or the wise men were told about where he was, he did, they did not come back and report to Herod. And so it says, when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under. A lot, a lot of families had tears that time. Because of an angry Herod who was jealous. And we see as we follow scripture that hatred has followed him all his life. In the book of John chapter 3, we remember that great verse 16, God so loved the world. Just after that it says, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light for the deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. The light is Jesus. In Matthew 27, 
for he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. And then in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, you know it has hated me before it hated you. But the third lesson we want to share with you is the hope that came from his birth. And this is some of the pronouncements that were made very early on. We see, for instance, in Matthew chapter 1, she shall bear a son and she'll call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Before he took his first breath on earth, that was the declaration. This is why he's coming. He's not coming just to experience this. He's coming to save us from our sins. Just a couple of verses later, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated God with us or God among us. God among us. John chapter 12, Jesus says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. And then Luke 19, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We need to remember the season among our families and among our friends that it's not a cute baby in a manger that changed the world. It was a dying Savior upon the cross. And it's that Savior that made the difference. Never did anyone speak like Jesus spoke. He spoke words of hope. He spoke words of salvation. He spoke words of authority. Never did anyone do what he had done. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 15, just to give you one example of this. But in Matthew chapter 15, as the Bible just puts together several of the things that Jesus had done, Matthew 15, verse 31 he says, so that the multitude marveled as they saw the dumb speak, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind seen, and they glorified the God of Israel. No one has ever done what Jesus did. And that was nothing compared to what he did upon the cross. And never did anyone promise what Jesus promised. John 14, he said, I, I have come to take you, I have come and prepared a place for you that where I go, there you may be. We can go to heaven because of Jesus. And so we see in our Bibles stories like the prodigal son. And that gives hope to those of us who've been in far countries. We've been in places we shouldn't have been. We've walked away from God. There's been periods of our life we never even thought about God. We never prayed to him. We never opened his book. We never worshiped him. And yet, God allowed that prodigal to come back home. You see, it's not a baby in a little manger. It's a Savior on the cross that changes our lives. The account of the woman who's caught in adultery gives hope to those of us who made wrong choices. Choices in our attitudes, choices in our words, moral choices. We, we did not do what we should have done, and, and we have wrecked our lives. But the story of Jesus gives us hope that God does not give up on us. The story of Zacchaeus, a little guy up in a tree, as Jesus was headed to the cross, and Jesus had a conversation with that tax collector, somebody whose society and culture would not have accepted. It shows hope for those of us who do not fit in. And, and sometimes we, we make these choices, we make these mistakes to be popular and to get fit in, and we find out that's the wrong way to go. And that birth of Jesus started all that that gives us the hope where we are today. 
in John chapter 10. Just a great verse in, in verse 10. John 10, verse 10, again reminding us of the work of Jesus. He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then this divine help that continues since his birth. In many ways, although Jesus ascended to heaven, in many ways it's like he's still here. And, and, and we see that throughout our lives. We see Jesus in music and in art and in literature. And even the way we consider time, this is 2023 A.D., A.D., the year of our Lord. That's what that means from Latin. And so since he's been here, there's that idea that he's never left. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself says, I will never desert you. And then we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul saying, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it never be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Where was the Lord when he said this? The Lord was in heaven. But that hope and that strength and that help is still there. And so we find passages like Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is with you. Psalms 46, verse 1. God is our refuge, a strength, a very present help in trouble. And so when you're discouraged, God is your help. When you think you cannot go on, take another step. God is your help. When you face your greatest trials, God is your help. When other people have given up on you, God is your help. There is no problem greater that God cannot fix. There is no sin so great God cannot forgive. There is no addiction that God cannot cure. And it began with Emmanuel coming to us. God among us. Now, for a moment, what would happen had Jesus never came? First of all, outside of family, most of us in this building would not know each other. We wouldn't know each other. What has brought us together is Jesus. We have some dear, dear friends here. We have some dear fellowship. We've been through lots of things together. But we had never known each other had it not been for Jesus. Had it not been for Jesus, crosses today would not mean anything. You wouldn't wear them as jewelry because they had been forgotten in history. They had been just something for historians to think about how the Romans executed people. And had Jesus not died on that cross, that would just been something we would never even think about today. Our world today would be darker had Jesus never come. Our character would be without love and peace and grace and joy. We would have no Savior. We would have no Advocate. We'd have no mercy. Had Jesus not come, heaven would not have been possible. And so when the world around this time of year says joy to the world, the Lord has come. Indeed, among the disciples of God, it is something. Now as we end this, a lot of places come Tuesday and Wednesday will be finding little boxes to put the little baby Jesus in and they'll put them in a closet and he'll stay there until next December. Have you made room in your heart for Jesus? 
Have you crowned Jesus as the Lord of your life and the King of kings in your world? Have you reminded yourself that I can pray to Jesus anytime? Have I opened his word and read what he wants me to be? And at night, can I close my eyes and say, come, Lord Jesus. And so those are some thoughts I'm going to share with you. It's easy for us to say we're just going to ignore the birth of Jesus, but the Bible does ignore the birth of Jesus. It's easiest just to say, well, everyone out there has just done everything wrong, and that's not true either. But when we open our Bibles and we read the story and we see what really happened, we see the emphasis is not the starting point, but the ending point, and that he reigns in heaven forever and ever. And that's what we need to see. This morning, we hope some of the things we've said have touched your heart. We hope there's some things that we have said that maybe just kind of, man, I've never heard that kind of stuff before. And maybe it'll take you back to read Luke chapter 2 a little more carefully and look at some of those words and see, you know, what a lot of people say just isn't found in that Bible. And may we have the heart to say, Jesus came, and he came for me, and he came for you. And if something had happened a long, long time ago, and you had been the only person on this planet, Jesus still would have come. Because that's how much God loves you. And that's how much God wants you to be in heaven. If you've never been baptized in Christ, that's a gospel way that you need to be baptized and walk with him every day. And for those of us who are disciples, let's remind ourselves that we always go to the Bible for the right answer. And may we remind ourselves that what a great, great blessing it is to be called a follower of Jesus. Not just during December, but through January and into July and to September and all the months of the year, we worship, we honor, we follow Jesus. If you're in the area, we welcome you to be part of this church family. Come, bring your Bible. Let's talk about what the Bible message is. The message of the birth, the message of his ministry, the message of his death, the message of his resurrection, the message he has for you today. It's great lessons. And it helps each of us. We're, if you can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?